its song. It'll fit in very beautifully with the message that God has given to me. I so appreciate this privilege of sharing the word of God with you this Lord's Day. And thank you for your prayers. I love the prophets. They were preachers of righteousness. And what a marvelous job they did for their time. And uh, I'd like to uh, just talk with you about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, a man who is given a dangerous assignment. I don't know if you've had something very, very difficult that you were given to do. As a pastor, I've had some very unusual responsibilities, but I think one of the most difficult things that I remember doing in 1967, I was privileged to serve as an EMT in the area of Coopersburg. Uh, most of our men in Coopersburg either worked at the Bethlehem Steel in Bethlehem or at uh, Air Products in Allentown. It left the community without men, and they asked several of our pastors if we would be willing to serve as a, an emergency medical technician. And I volunteered, and I had no idea what it would be to be that kind of person. I spent 39 weeks at the Allentown General Hospital, twice a week, uh, and uh, we were uh, eager to serve in the community. One day I was dispatched uh, to go out to Center Valley, just about two, three miles from Coopersburg, and when I came onto the scene, there were a number of Pennsylvania Power and Light uh, men putting up lines, and uh, we were uh, asked to minister to a man who the telegraph pole had fallen on him, on his head, and crushed his head. I remember, first of all, we ministered to his physical needs, but he was so very close to death. I just held this man uh, in my arms. I shared with him the gospel of Christ, the love of Christ that he died for sin. And if he would open his heart to the Lord in the most easiest way that he could understand, I shared the precious claims of Christ with him. And he died in my arms. That was difficult. But the more difficult was when we took him into the Allentown General Hospital where he was declared dead. His wife and three children were waiting there at the hospital. And I had to tell the mother, just a young mother, this young man was only 41 years of age, and I had to tell his wife and his three children that their daddy died in my arms. That was a difficult task. But nothing compared to what Jeremiah experienced as a prophet. Jeremiah had the responsibility of telling to the entire kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, the entire kingdom that they were going to be destroyed by the arch enemy Babylon and that they would be carried into Babylon and will be held there in captivity for 70 years. The very graphic illustration of how that would really happen is given to us in chapter 16. But can you imagine calling the entire nation of Judah? It was a godly people. God had ministered to this people in many different ways. Jerusalem was the capital. God had ministered through his temple, through his people, through his prophets. Now he was going to discipline them and he was going to destroy that nation 
and carry them into exile. Would you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1? I don't want this to be a downer, but I think we need to understand something about these prophets. And the reason I said Kendra's song was so appropriate, because I'd like to share four things with you this morning about Jeremiah. First of all, his commission and call. Secondly, the complaint that he made to God. Then the astounding conviction that the Holy Spirit brought upon his heart. And lastly, the confidence that God restored in his heart. Those four words, commission, complaint, conviction, and confidence. Jeremiah chapter 1, we are given here the call of Jeremiah to this dangerous assignment. I want you to notice in the first uh, several verses, he served under five different kings. He ministered for 41 years. He had one message. God is going to discipline you and destroy you as a nation. Not a very popular message. Uh, People didn't gather around him and flock around him to hear it. But he had that responsibility. But uh, Kendra sang to us this morning about how God knew us even before we were born. This is what God said to Jeremiah in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, or I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, he is already a priest. It tells us that in verse 1. But now he says, I'm going to make you a mouthpiece. I'm going to make you a spokesman, a representative for me. And before you were ever born... I set you apart. I knew you. I knew all about you. I knew your name. I knew all the peculiarities about your birth and whatsoever. And I've given you this assignment. Well, the first reaction Jeremiah makes is, Oh, sovereign Lord. I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And I will rescue you, says the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, overthrow, and to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in this land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdom And he knew that that meant Babylon, their great enemy. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. And they will come against all surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. 
Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you. The book of Jeremiah is not written chronologically. I remember preaching through the entire book when I was in Sunbury for 52 weeks. It's 52 chapters, easy to take a chapter a week. But it was the most frustrating expositional work that I ever did because chapter 2 and 5 and 10, they don't follow chronologically. They really jump all around. But it's a valuable book. And God has preserved it for us. Jeremiah's commission was to tell the entire nation of Judah that he was going to carry them away. Would you turn to Jeremiah 16? Jeremiah chapter 16 and beginning at verse 10. Now, this is the reason why they were going to be carried away. These are God's people. God made a covenant with his people. God made promises to the people of God, that they, if they would remember him and follow him and obey him, he would take care of them. He would provide for them. And this land would always be their land. Look at verse 10 of chapter 16. When you tell these people all this and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, it is because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. So I will throw you out of this land into a land neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. But look at verse 15. Keep this in mind because I'm going to address it at the end. For I will restore them to the land I gave their forefathers. But now I will send for many fishermen. I love fishing. He's going to use fishermen. He says, I'm going to send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will cast them. After that, I will send for many hunters and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices of the rocks. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. I will repay them double for their wickedness and their sin because they have defiled my land with the lifeless forms of their vile images and have filled my inheritance with their detestable idols. What a challenge to tell this whole nation uh, their sin and why God was doing this. This must have been a very difficult assignment. And it was dangerous because Jeremiah many times was put in prison. He was put in cisterns, dried up wells. Uh, he was beaten, as we're going to see in chapter 20 in just a moment. 
This man was just a laughing stock. People ridiculed him. They called him all kinds of names. They did everything they could to possibly get rid of him. In fact, in chapter 36, uh, King Jehoiakim, when he read the writings of Jeremiah, and Baruch was Jeremiah's private secretary. And so as he would dictate and share these things that God was giving to him, he asked Baruch to write them down. They became God's word. And so they came to the hands of Jehoiakim. You remember the story. You learned it in Sunday school. As this king read different portions of Jeremiah's letters and the word of God, he would cut it up with his penknife and throw it into the fire and burn it. Didn't matter because Baruch and Jeremiah wrote it all over again. You can't destroy God's word. It'll never change and it will never disappear. But it was difficult, a very difficult assignment. And he had to do this for 41 years. Can you imagine ministering to an obstinate, rebellious, indifferent, disobedient people for 41 years? But what was even more difficult was he was told never to marry. I can't imagine being in the ministry and ministering to people and the demands that are upon a pastor's life without having a wife. He was told not to marry, never have children. He said God told him that if he would have children, they would be affected by the disease, the death and the destruction uh, that was going to be coming upon the land. He was never to attend a funeral. Now, he violated that by uh, attending Josiah's uh, funeral. Josiah was that wonderful king that brought about many uh, reforms. We're going to see in chapter 20 the word topheth. It's a very strange word. But Topheth is where Josiah destroyed all the Asherah poles, all the idols. And the one thing that he really destroyed was the altars to Molech. Now, I'm sure you understand in that day, and people ask me, is it wrong to be cremated? I'm not going to make a pronouncement on that decision. But I do know that pagan nations believed in burning their dead. And one of the things that this particular nation of Judah was guilty of, they had fallen this far from God in obeying God, that they would offer their boys and girls, little children. I think of little Hunter, Alexander, uh, all the little babies that had been born. Those babies would be offered on an altar and be burned alive. Josiah saw that this was a tremendous violation to God's word, and he tore down those altars at Topheth. Now we're going to come to chapter 20. Let's look at chapter 20. The text that Brother Jack Herb read for us. The priest Pasher, he was the son of Immer, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord. He was a religious leader. I want you to remember that the religion at that time was so tainted and so contaminated by these views that even the temple of the Lord was abused. This pasher was given the responsibility of being a bouncer. He was to 
get rid of any troublemaker that would come into the temple of the Lord. I can't imagine people wanting to do anything wrong in the temple of the Lord. But this man was set up as the chief officer, the, the, the one who would handle any kind of trouble. He heard Jeremiah preaching. And he was so angry with what he was saying because later on in his judgment, it says that he was lying to the people. And this was being done by most of the priests at that time. Don't let Jeremiah influence your thinking. This kind of thing of God destroying his land, destroying his people. We are the chosen, the covenant people of God. That's that's wrong. That's a lie. Don't listen to him. Don't be influenced by his teaching and thinking. And this man, being a religious leader at that time, takes Jeremiah, beats him, and then puts him in stocks right out in front of the church or the temple. He didn't only do that to make Jeremiah hurt, and it was painful. Can you imagine? I couldn't do it with my shoulders, but your shoulders are in a stock held up for a whole day and night. And his feet or ankles are in that stock as well. But the worst thing was this. Everybody that came to church passed by Jeremiah, laughed at him, scoffed at him, spit on him, said all kinds of ugly things about him. Can you imagine the shame that was connected with this assignment? After Pasher released him, we find that Jeremiah says, your name... Pasher is going to be changed to Magor Misabib. Boy, that's a tongue twister, but Brother Jack did very well in pronouncing that. It means you're going to be a terrorist. You're going to be a terror to yourself, to your family, and you are a terrorist to this whole land for what you're teaching and doing. Not only because you put me in stocks, but you know better. You know what the word of God really says. You know what God has promised, that if we disobey him, there will be punishment for that sin. And so he released him. And Jeremiah said, from now on, you're going to be such a miserable individual. And you're going to be carried off with that group into exile, into Babylon. I'm going to see you go. Keep in mind, this was written about 627 B.C. Just a little history. The northern kingdom was carried away by Assyria in 722. There were several deportations that came in carrying the people away into Babylon. 597, a lot of people were carried away. The treasures, the instruments that were used in the temple were carried away. But 586 is when Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Babylon, came in and destroyed You have to read some of the graphic information in chapter 19. Let's just stop for a moment. Look over to chapter 19. For they have forsaken me, verse 4, and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in its gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. They have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something that I did not command or mention, nor did it even enter my mind, God is saying. 
So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer call this place Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. In this place, I will ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, I go down to verse eight. I will devastate this city and make it an object of scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff because of all of its wounds. I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters, and they will eat one another's flesh during the stress of the siege imposed to them by the enemies who seek their lives. Jeremiah was standing before the people and was enumerating what God was going to do to the land. He was told to go to the potter and get a jar. And this must have been a graphic, a a moving illustration. What an object lesson. He took that jar that he obtained from the potter. And uh, earlier in chapter 18, uh, Jeremiah is told to go to the potter and see how he makes different vessels for himself. Some are very chosen and very choice vessels, and God uses them. Others are destroyed, but God can, like the potter, make lies all over again. And he takes this jar in front of everybody and smashes this jar, and he says, this is what is going to happen to this land. Oh, what a movie, what an assignment. Now, enough of that. But I think after about 20-some years of this ministry, he ministered for 41 years. But in chapter 20, we're at about 20 years into his ministry. At this time, I think the pressures are really getting to Jeremiah. I don't know how this man handled all of that for 20-some years, and he's going to have 20 more years until the nation is carried away. Can you imagine 41 years, every place you go, every village you visit, every town you're in, you share the same message. God is going to destroy this land. Well, people whispered. Scripture says my friends, they they began to whisper behind me and they say, boy, when is this guy going to just fall dead? Get out of here. This got to stop. This is horrible. All of us are taking a beating for this kind of message that we're hearing. And it really began to get to Jeremiah. Look at verse 7. Jeremiah says, O Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed, and I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. He goes on in verse 10. I hear my many whispering friends. They're saying terrors on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Verse 14 to 18, I'm going to summarize Jeremiah got to the place like Job and Elijah. I wish I would have never been born. I don't know why I didn't die in my mother's womb. Why was it that I was ever allowed to come out of my mother's body and be born? This servant of God is low. This servant of God is beaten down. I can't even imagine what it must have been like for 20-some years 
to preach to a people that would never, never hear or respond or do anything about it. He accuses and blames God for this. That's unwise. God told him in his call, you're going to uproot, you're going to tear down. Uh, I told you this. I told you what to expect. I don't think God's rubbing it in his face. But he said, oh, God, you enticed me. The word is actually you raped me. It says here in the, uh, in the NIV, you deceived me. What a charge to make about God. God never deceives. God did not entice him. God told him what he could expect. This was difficult. I can't imagine bearing up under such a, a tremendous task. But the third word that I want you to see, and by the way, this was the sixth complaint that Jeremiah made to God. Six times he unloaded his heart. You know, God is so gracious. God is so patient. God is so understanding. He knows what we're able to handle. And he never places more upon us than we are able to handle. I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. He didn't have the gospel as we know it the death and resurrection of Christ, the grace of God. But he experienced God's grace, and God was gracious to him. Look at verse 9. He said, but if I say, and here the Holy Spirit produces a tremendous conviction in Jeremiah's heart, but if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it indeed. I cannot hold it within. I am so grateful for the way God teaches us in our down times and our troubled times. God comes to him and God teaches him something so valuable. He knew the word of God. My, he knew the faithfulness of God. He knew the attributes and he knew all the qualities of God. And he was a godly man. But one great truth came to his heart at this time. He says, if I should do this, he didn't say I will, but I'm sure he was tempted to do it. I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to stop preaching. I'm just going to shut up about this whole thing. All I do is I get beaten up every day. And this is this was real. This was difficult. But then I realized that the word that God had put in my heart, the calling that God called me to preach his word. Remember when Paul says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He wasn't only talking, woe is me if I don't preach only the gospel. But if I substitute anything for the gospel, woe is me. I remember when I entered the ministry, that verse was a challenge to my heart. Woe is me if I preach not. The gospel that God has given to me to preach. And Jeremiah realized, he said, you know, the word of God is like fire. You know the properties of fire. The analogy of the word of God is that it's a lamp, a seed. It's like a hammer, but it's fire. We know the results of fire back in Colorado, Arizona, my, some of the fires, Oklahoma City. 
We just learned that hundreds of people lost their homes. The winds, the heat, 110 degrees. Fire is powerful and destructive. God says, I am a consuming fire. He is the judge. Fire speaks of passion. I think what uh, Jeremiah was saying, the fire's in my belly and I cannot keep quiet. I must obey God. I must declare the word of God. I cannot keep silent. I must share the word. I want to share with you this morning that I know you love the scriptures. I know you know the word of God. I just marvel. I listen to our men on Wednesday nights share the word. I'm not always privileged to be in different Sunday school classes. You are so well trained, so disciplined to give yourself to the word of God. You live it. You model it. You teach it to your families. And you know that once you know something that is right, You can't keep quiet about it. We as God's people are given an assignment, given a dangerous assignment in the day in which we live. I don't know if you realize that the word of God says we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm sure you're beginning to see more and more evidence of this on the TV and the radio and around you as you work. The gospel is not appreciated. The gospel is hated. You have been given a dangerous assignment. The word of God says, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm the only way. I am the exclusive way of coming to the father. There's only one way to heaven. That is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That exclusive message is detestable, hated by the world in which you live. Do you realize that the cross, the cross was not only considered foolishness, but the cross is even an emblem, a symbol that is hated today. They're even debating whether they want to take the crosses down from Arlington Cemetery. Can you imagine how the symbol of the cross is so despised and hated. We sing about the old rugged cross, despised and hated by the world. We believe that all men and women are lost apart from faith in Jesus Christ. That is detestable. That is hated by the culture in which we live. And you and I are in... uh, We're... Given a dangerous assignment. Have you been following the news in Nigeria, Indonesia, Somalia, Sudan? How the governments are burning the churches, the homes of any Christian. You say, well, they're not evangelical Christian. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are evangelical Christian people. Many of our missionaries are in tremendous dangerous assignments. Dana Weller, Pastor Weller, who is the director of our Board of Missions, he is constantly asking us to pray for our missionaries in some of those dangerous countries, Islamic countries. They hate the gospel. They hate the cross. They hate the message of Jesus Christ. And you and I, I'm afraid one of these days, are going to be despised even as Jeremiah was. 
We have a job to tell people they're lost. They need to be saved. That the only one that can save them and transform their lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a dangerous assignment that we have all been given. We're called to bear the truth of God's word in this day. We're challenged to speak up about abortion, euthanasia, pornography, immorality of all kinds, gambling. It's so rampant. It's always made as an excuse. You older people, you seniors are benefiting from the gambling casinos. You can't imagine how people's lives are being destroyed and messed up. Families destroyed because of gambling. Fraud, greed, injustice, the lack of respect for authority. I don't know when I've ever lived in a day when our nation is so polarized. No respect for those that are in authority over us. Yet the word of God says we're to pray for those. Even the kings, the president. Those that are laboring in government. I remember in history, you remember Martin Luther in 1517, as he discovered several different truths. And some of those truths were that you can only be saved by God's grace through faith, through Christ alone. All believers are priests. And we find that the word of God is the final authority of truth and faith. He said, I know these truths. I cannot keep quiet. And I'll tell you, he paid a dear price for nailing those 95 theses upon that uh, castle door, the castle of Wittenberg. And he knew that he was going to be he was going to pay dearly for what he did. But the truth motivated him. He could not keep quiet. And he had to share that word. Oh, may the fire of God never be quenched in our hearts. You have the truth. You have the, the truth of God's word embedded in your soul. And Jeremiah discovered that that truth is like a fire. Did you ever try to stop something that was combustible, was like an explosive? Second Timothy 2.15 is addressed to Timothy as a pastor. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what the actual meaning of that is? Handling very carefully the word of truth, like an explosive. You're handling dynamite, the truth of God's word. And God's word is powerful, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It's dynamic. And the word of God can change lives going to be talking about that tonight. But God has planted his word in your heart. You have the assignment to speak up. It might be dangerous. It might hurt. In fact, one of the reformers said these words. He said, better to burn at the stake than to have one's true inner life burnt up in resisting God. Boy, some of the reformers they laid down their lives. William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, and we could go on for hundreds of these individuals that stood for the cause of Jesus Christ and paid with it with their lives. But I want you to notice in chapter 20 and verse 11 to 13 how Jeremiah's confidence is restored. Very quickly, he began to realize the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. 
So my persecutors will stumble and they will never prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. And the exile will never be forgotten. You talk to Jewish people. We had Jewish neighbors and friends, the Wise family, of the owners of Wise Markets. They talked many times of what it must have been like in that Holocaust when the Jewish people were carried captive into uh, Babylon. 586 B.C. was a horrible day. That entire area of Jerusalem, the whole southern kingdom of Judah, was just desecrated and demolished. Everything was blown apart by Nebuchadnezzar. They remember it. And the, the promises, the preaching of Jeremiah came to pass. But he says, O oh Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Notice the word of God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Don't take vengeance in your own hands. He became discouraged, but he never lashed out. Never took a bunch of swords or clubs and started beating people, thinking that that was the way to get them to think and remember God. No, no. He says, Lord, I leave the vengeance in your hands. But this next verse or two is phenomenal to me. How was his confidence restored? He says to himself, do you ever talk to yourself? I do. Now, you're in trouble when you answer yourself. But he says, sing to the Lord. Oh, do you realize the effectiveness of music and song? I don't know how this man ever sang. Oh, he had no family to share this with. He had three friends, Gedaliah, Ebed-Melech, and Ahikam. Pronounce those words. How would you like to have your mother named you those names? Those were the only friends that he had. No family. No one to share his burdens with. But he said, Jeremiah, sing to the Lord, sing to God. For many years, I would always keep a hymnal with me for my devotions. I would read God's word and then I would choose a hymn and I would sing it. What a blessing music is. What a blessing songs are. Memorize songs. Don't forget the hymns that we have been given to us. And then he goes on and says, give praise to the Lord. That's the answer. Focus your attention upon the Lord. Worship him. Praise him. Thank him. I don't understand what's going on many times in my life, what God has called me to do. But I, I worship him. He is the sovereign God. He's the faithful God. He will deliver. He will lift up. He will strengthen. And Jeremiah found that to be true. When God's truth is embedded in your soul, you will never be the same and you will never be able to keep silent. For it is, it will burn like a fire in your innermost being. Jeremiah said, I'm going to quit talking. It's safer, easier that way. But he said that word, it cannot be chained. Paul said, as we read, Brother Jack read it as our call to worship, the word of God cannot be chained. It can't be locked up. It will never be bound. It's like fire. It will explode. 
It will penetrate. It will devour. It will conquer. It will do all that it's meant to be. Because you see, that is God. God is His Word. You can't separate the Scriptures from God. God is the Word of God. And may God burn within our hearts. We're perhaps going to be facing some difficult days. Maybe I won't. Maybe my generation will not. And yet a pastor was arrested for having a Bible study. There's talk about removing your tax exemption numbers for different things that you might do in church. We need to pray for our children, our grandchildren. There are going to be some difficult days ahead because... Have you ever thought about this? If God did this to Judah for their behavior, can God tolerate what is happening in our culture today? You think God's just winking at it? God's saying, well, you know, people will be people. I'm afraid that some of the values that we hold here, if we don't speak up, and we're going to have an opportunity on November the 6th to do some speaking. I trust that we'll speak for the glory of God. May the word of God that is in your heart burn like a fire. Brother Jack is going to come now and uh, lead us in our closing hymn. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire.